reminds us of things just before he leaves. So I do want to remind you, men, we have that What's Happening study coming up. And uh, that is uh, on Tuesday. It's not happening. It's going to be postponed for a quick month. Robert Baltadona, why don't you come on up? Uh, Robert, oh, there you are. <laughs> He's uh, assistant manager at K-Wave, and uh, he teaches Sunday nights over there at that other church. No, at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley. So welcome, welcome, Robert. Good morning. Why don't you guys uh, greet each other before we start? Well, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, it's always a blessing to be here to share with you guys um, and being able to, uh, you know, just share what's on my heart. I love teaching the Bible, and that's, that's my passion. That's my calling in life. And so uh, being able to do this at different churches that I get a chance to do that, um, especially church here, Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Uh, you know, most of you, I've, I've done this introduction before. I've, I've known your pastor for a while. I went to Bible College at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley back in 95. He was actually one of my facilitators for one of the classes and so um, that's when I got to know him, and uh, then I went to New York, pastored a church for 10 years out there, and I've uh, been back for nine years. So, um, but th- this morning, I want to share something with you out of Joshua chapter 9. If you guys turn to Joshua chapter 9, I'll be looking at the first 14 verses this morning, Joshua chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, and then uh, we'll get into our study for this morning. It says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garment on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our house, and on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy, and these wineskins... Were filled with new, uh, were, which were filled, uh, were new, and see, they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. According to lie detection experts, they say that our natural tendency is to trust people. However, not everyone is always trustworthy, right? But I find it interesting that there are signs that can tell you if somebody is actually lying to you. And some of the signs include fidgeting, a lack of eye contact, and basically noticeable pauses when they're speaking. I find those signs when I talk to my kids and ask them, did you do it? They fidget, right? They don't look at you. They pause. But experts say even with those those observable facts that you can probably tell if somebody's lying to you or not, they say that it's very difficult still to 
actually trust people, and, and they can still lie through their teeth, if you will. You know, we want to be trusted, and I think it's an important part of life, and, and many of us want to gain trust, especially if you're a salesperson right now, you're saying, that's true. I want to be trusted by my clients. You're a salesperson, right? You walk to a car lot, and a sales guy comes out, and they're trying to sell you a car. Do you trust them? Are they trying to sell you? No, yeah, right there, right? Sorry for those who are salesmen there in car dealerships. But you, they're selling you a car, and you start thinking, are they selling me a good car? Are they really telling me the truth? They work here. They get paid for it, so they have to tell you, hey, this is a good car. Uh, perhaps you're a, uh, a person who is in the financial business, a financial advisor. People need to trust you with their money. Or maybe you're a estranged family member that you want to be trusted again. And so trust becomes a big part of life. And if we wonder, can I trust you? We really shouldn't decide quickly based on what seems right to us. That's where we get in trouble. Or any outer appearance, because you know that looks can be deceiving, right? We all understand that. The Bible says very clearly that the Christian life is a very interesting life. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by what? By sight. Now, you say, okay, Robert, that's great, but people say that seeing is believing. You've heard of that, right? But, but God would say to us, no, believing is seeing. That's the whole Christian life. You see, the greatest faith any of us could possess is the ability to believe without seeing. That is the, that, that is the greatest faith any of us can have. You remember the story back in John, uh, John chapter 12, or 20, rather. Remember when Jesus resurrected he was hanging out with the disciples. And the Bible says that the disciples came to a man by the name of Thomas, right? We always talk about doubting Thomas, skeptical Thomas, right? Some even thought about looking at Tom, Thomas as an unbelieving Thomas, unbeliever, whatever. But Thomas had a hard time with the resurrection, didn't he? The disciples came to Thomas and said, Thomas, we have, we have seen the Messiah. We've seen the Lord. He's resurrected, if you will. And what did he say? He said, well... Until I see the prince in his hands and I can put my finger in it and also his side, then he says, I will believe. Now, God heard that. So what happened? Well, it says eight days later, Jesus shows up where the disciples were and Thomas was there as well. So Jesus goes right to who? To Thomas. And he goes to Thomas and says, Thomas, you see my hands, put your finger in those prints. And you see my side, put your hand on my side. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He believed, right? Now let me say something here. This is a side note. Jehovah Witnesses will look at you and say, no, 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 no. Because you're trying to prove that Jesus is God in the Bible. This is a great verse to prove to them Jesus is God. But they'll say, no, no, no. Thomas was saying like what we say. Oh my God, what did I, you know what I mean? No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. He wasn't using my God in that way. He was really out of his heart saying, my God, my Lord, this is God right here. So what did Jesus say to him? I love what Jesus said to him. Listen to this. John chapter 20, verse 29. Listen to this. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guess what, guys? That's all of you. That's you, that's me. You and I did not witness the resurrection. You and I did not see Jesus face to face like these disciples did. But we have been included in that verse. You and me are more blessed to believe even though we have not seen Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That is called faith. We all have faith. Even if you're sitting here like, I'm an atheist, I don't have faith. Yes, you do, because if you have faith in this ceiling, it's not going to fall on us. You have faith that those chairs are not going to collapse on you. You have faith that when you walk out, a car is not going to broadside you. You have faith. Everyone here has some level of faith in this life. The faith that we talk about here is the faith of the Christian faith. And so what I want to do this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the dangers of walking by sight. That's my message this morning. The dangers of walking by sight. What happens when we walk by sight? Why is it a danger to walk by sight? Well, Christians, 
who walk by sight only, what happens usually is that they don't commit their way to, to God in their objectives, their pursuits, and any kind of wisdom they don't seek God for. They basically do it on their own. They refuse God's enablement. They do their thing. They think they can do it on their own, in their own power, in their own strength. That is the dangerous part of walking by sight. In fact, listen to what the Proverbs says here. Solomon said something interesting about this. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Isn't that interesting? You see the key words there? Seems right. Have you guys ever made a decision based on what seemed right? Raise your hand. I think all of us should, right? And you made the decision, whatever it was, whether it was to take a job, whether it was to move, whatever it was, you made the decision, and it just seemed right. It was, it was, it was something that made sense to you. Why couldn't it be from God, let's say? You did not pray about it. You just went for it. When you made the decision afterwards, you realized that you made the wrong choice. And you regretted your decision. And I've counseled people in the past when they've made these regretful decisions. And one of the things I ask is, say, did you pray about it? Did you seek God for this? And most of the time is, no, I did not. We see here that in the book of Joshua in chapter 9, we come to this section, and I believe it's an important section for us to see here, is that this section will show us that there's a danger of presumption and walking by sight. There's, it's very dangerous. And the reason why it's dangerous, let me put, the, put it this way, is because when we consider the fact that we are in a big conflict with supernatural forces that are at times more powerful than you and me, we can get ourselves in big, big trouble. We, you and I see the material world. You and I see flesh and blood. And we see the physical evidence. And sometimes we think, we can handle this. I got this. We think that we have the power to deal with certain things, but we forget to realize that the enemy, the devil, he will actually use people to promote his schemes. He will use people in our lives to promote his schemes. And so what we see here in the book of Joshua is Joshua and the leaders failed the tests. What was the test? Well, as First John tells us in chapter 4, test the spirits whether they are of God. They failed it. They got a big F on this test. How do I know that? Verse 14 tells us. Read it again. What does it say there at the end of chapter 9, verse 14? It says, basically in Joshua chapter 9, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but what? They did not ask counsel of the Lord. In other words, they did not pray about it. They did not say, God, who are these guys? Are they legit? Instead, they went for it. Why? Because they were walking by sight. So let's look at the text here for, 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 for our time here this morning. Verses 1 and 2, notice the first thing we see here. And I'm actually going to divide this, these 14 verses into two sections. The very first five verses, I'm calling those first five verses the costumes. And then from verses 6 through 14, I call that section the script. I mean, if you think about these, these Gibeonites, these men from, Gibeonite, from, from Gibeon were wonderful actors. These guys would have made it in Hollywood. I mean, they knew exactly what to do. They had the props. They had the talk. I mean, they were wonderful actors. And that's what an actor is. An actor is a pretender, right? And so it says here that all the kings on the side of the Jordan, they all came together. That's on the western side of the Jordan, that is. And notice these three distinctions, these threefold distinctions, hills, lowlands, and coasts clearly reveals to us from this text that a very large portion of Canaan was getting ready to go to war with Israel. This was some serious stuff here. You see, God just defeated Jericho. God defeated Ai. And these guys are saying, well, you know what? Let's all get together and gang up on Israel and let's go beat them up. And so when it says here that they came from all these different locations, you're talking about a big war happening here, brewing. And so we see here that these guys get together because God was on the move in the lives of his children. 
One of my commentators said this, and I quote, The more boldly the Christian faith advances, the more vocal and violent the opposition will become. Why is that? You know why? Because the devil does not want to see the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. He does not want to. He wants to stop God's advancement, his kingdom on earth. He doesn't want people saved. He doesn't want people to learn about the Bible. And so he will do whatever he can to stop the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. God's kingdom is advancing here in this church on this side of heaven. People that come in here, people that go out of here, people are hearing the Bible, people are hearing the worship. You are being ministered. Your heart is being touched. Your life is being transformed. It's being changed. Whether you're a Christian here today or not, you are being spoken to by God. Satan doesn't like that. And so people will walk out of here upset, saying, well, how does that preacher know what he's talking about? That's because the enemy doesn't want you to learn. He wants you to stay far away from any, anything close to salvation. And so, this is an important part of the section, for even for the Christian life, that, that the enemy, Satan himself, wants to stop the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. You know he tried to do that with Jesus? You guys remember chapter 4 of Matthew? There were these temptations that Jesus went through. Uh, the, the devil came to Jesus, and Jesus was going through this temptation after his fasting, and basically the enemy wanted to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And so he gave him these temptations, and the last temptation was his last attempt, his final attempt to try to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And what did he say to Jesus? Listen to what he said to Jesus. The devil took him up on an an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Is that interesting? He said to Jesus, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Satan is offering Jesus the glitter of the world. He's saying, I'm giving you all of this. Which shows us that the enemy has some kind of kingship over this fallen world. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, that he is the God of this world. And I find it interesting because when he said this to Jesus, he was trying to get Jesus to stop going to the cross. He wanted Jesus to worship him right there on the spot. And then if he were able to do that, then guess what? Jesus failed the test. The mission wouldn't be accomplished. What did Jesus say to him? Away with me, Satan. It's almost like, right? Just get away. Why? Because that is not what Jesus came to do. Satan's attempt was to try to keep Jesus from the cross. Joshua chapter 9, even before chapter chapter 9, God was going through the land of Canaan, basically cleaning it out, wiping it out from all these enemies that Israel had. And now the attempt is made to team up with Israel. And so we see here, notice in verse 3, as these kings were gathering together, ready to go after Israel, it says there in verse 3, but... When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they said, we ain't going to war with them. It's funny because these guys were very smart. And, and, and it's interesting because it says they heard, they, they, they understood the, the reputation that God had among the children of Israel was a very good reputation. They understood that God fought for Israel. And so we see here that based on that fame of God, they did not want to continue on with this war. That happened with Rahab. Kind of like the same words Rahab said when she took in the spies. In Joshua chapter 2, when they were there in Jericho, she said the same thing. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. Rahab, the men at Gibeon, both were very, very clued in to the way God was doing the work there among the children of Israel. How he dried up the Red Sea was an incredible miracle. It was a powerful miracle. It's baffling. If you and I were with, with, with Moses at the time, before the Red Sea, and you were to experience the Red Sea parting, you and I, probably a lot of you would have fainted. Because it was an incredible miracle. 
it was in, uh, they were in awe of what happened. And, and they, they understood that, that the works of God were, were, were amazing. I don't know about you, but I, I love to read about the works of God in the Bible. I really do. When you go through Genesis to Revelation, all you see is all these amazing works that God did among his people. The Bible is not a boring book, by the way. When people say the Bible is boring, I say, no, you're boring. There's nothing boring about the Bible. And, and so when you see the Bible, and you read the Bible, you see the, the works of God and the most powerful things that God did are recorded in Scripture, but, but not just, I, I don't only just love the, 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 the works of God in the Bible, but I love to hear testimonies in people's lives and how God did a work in your life. What God saved you from. The, the, the drug addict that you were, and all of a sudden God brought you out of that, and now you're standing in God's grace, and you're serving God, you're honoring God with your life. And, and it's just crazy to, 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 to hear the testimony that's out there of people that were saved by God. That was the works of God. The works of God is something to praise Him for. Let me give you some verses in Psalms just to show you how these guys approach the works of God. Psalm 66, 5, the psalmist said, Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He is awesome in his doing. Psalm 71, 17, listen, O God, he says, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. If you're a young person today, I encourage you, to get familiar with the works of God that are recorded in Scripture. And listen, declare them to your friends. Tell them about the works of God. Tell them about your own life and what God has done in your own life. Tell them how God spared you from this or that. Show the world that God's works are awesome. Here's another psalm. I like this one, Psalm 78, 4. We will not hide them from their children, telling them from their, ch- telling them from their children, telling them to the generations to come, to the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he has done. That's a verse for parents, actually. Yeah, no matter, you know, I mean, you have l- little kids. I have a, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and uh, we, don't, we don't shy away from reminding them of the works of God. When we go through the Bible, we'll read certain verses and scriptures and stories, and we will emphasize that work that God did, how awesome God is. Don't be ashamed of sharing that with your children, even if they're three years old, four years old, even if they're like, squirrel, doesn't matter. Just give them the word. Remember that movie? I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but anyway. You know, the attention span of kids are very short. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Squirrel, remember? You know, okay, anyways. All right. Some of you guys probably remember that movie. But anyways, the Gibeonites did not want to mess around with God because they understood that God was powerful. That's why. And Gibeon was a region that was inhabited by by the Hivites. The Hivites were idolatrous people. They were bad people, pagan people, horrible people. And so we have here a group of these men that did not want to deal with God. They went after Joshua, and they came up with this thing. Notice what they did. Notice verses 4 and 5. What did they do? Well, they worked craftedly and pretended. I want to draw your attention to those two words. I believe those are key words here in this 14 verses. They were craftedly, craftedly, and they pretended. They did two things. They created their own costumes, and they made their own script. They were deceptive in their appearance and in their talk. They played the part of distant travelers. What, they, what did they do? They, they actually hid their true identity. A typical strategy of Satan, to be honest with you. Hiding their true identity. The Gibeonites were clever in their deception. They were slick. They were cunning in their planning. They knew what they were doing. They pretended to be someone else. They purposely misrepresented themselves before Joshua and the people. They gave false evidence of their deception. And you know, God has warned us about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, something about the enemy that is very, he's very good at. It says this, And no wonder... For Satan himself 
transforms himself into an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Light and darkness are two words used in the Bible. Darkness usually speaks of evil, of darkness in a bad sense. Light always speaks of the light of God, the glory of Christ. And so what it's saying here is that Satan disguises himself as if he had light. And there's nothing good in Satan. Nothing. And so what happens is Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He makes himself appealing to people. He portrays himself as, he doesn't portray himself as a dark, devilish being with horns. That would not be appealing to the majority of the people. He doesn't appear to people and say, hey, I'm the devil. Guess what? I'm going to mess you up. No, he doesn't do that. He's much more cunning. He's the angel of light. He's the one who appears. He disguises himself. What do you mean by that? Well, there are millions today, obviously, that, that are deceived by so many things in this world. But Satan presents sin to people as something pleasing and beautiful, and it's to be desired. And, and he presents false teachings as enlightening and life-changing. Millions follow his deceptions simply because they do not know the truth of God. You know, I follow a lot of people on Facebook and also on Instagram and Twitter. And the sad thing is that there are a lot of false teachers out there. And they follow, a lot of young people follow these false teachers. And when you read their posts and what they're saying and things and that, you're thinking, this guy is off theologically. Where did you come up with this? And you have people posting, amen, amen. That's, that's the word, amen, amen. And I'm thinking, don't you guys see? He just twisted the Bible. They don't know the truth. They don't know God's word. If, 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 you don't have to be a scholar to understand Scripture. Let me say this. You're probably, oh, well, you're a pastor. You went to Bible college. You, you, you know the Bible. No, no, listen. You don't have to go to school to learn the Bible. Just open up your Bible and read it. You read the Bible just on a, on a regular basis Listen, you're, you're going to develop into a scholar yourself, a Bible student. Because the Holy Spirit has a way to put a check in your spirit when you hear or see something. You're like, oh, that didn't sound right. That's the Holy Spirit telling you there's heresy there. And so the enemy will package false teachings in, 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 in an enlightening way that, that is going to change your life. And, and people believe it if you don't know the Bible. They'll believe it. They'll eat it up. Sometimes people get caught up with the personality of the preacher more than with the message. What he's wearing, how tight those jeans are on him, right? How much hairspray they use, whatever, right? I do too. I use hairspray. I'm not against hairspray. Ladies are all like, I use hairspray? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have to be careful. Stick to what the Bible says. Know the truth. And so we see here that Joshua is about to be deceived by the Gibeonites. This is, this is what makes walking by sight dangerous. Joshua was fooled, and he went by sight. The items that you see here in this chapter showed Joshua that they really did come from a distant land. They were, very, they were really good at, at fooling him. So let's look at the script, the second half of, these, of this section. Notice in verse 6, they come to Joshua... And it says it there in chapter 9 at verse 6. Notice what they say. They said this. They said to Joshua, And they went to Joshua, came to Gilgal, and said to him and to the men, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. Make a covenant with us. This is very interesting. This is very interesting. Why are they demanding make a covenant with us? Why are they asking him for that? You know why? Because these men of Gibeonites, these Gibeonite men, or these men from Gibeon, knew the Bible. They understood the laws of God. Very tricky. What do you mean by that? Well, there were two rules that God gave in the Old Testament about war. Rule number one was in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. It says, God said to destroy every city in Canaan, which would include them. Another law that God gave, or another rule for war, God gave in the same chapter, chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. You'll, re you'll see it in there. And God said to spare the cities that are far away from Canaan. In other words, any city of, uh, outside of Canaan, cities that are far away, 
offer them peace. And if they don't take your peace, then, hey, listen, then, then fight them. But if they're willing, to, take, they're willing to, to receive the peace that you offer to them, then make a covenant with them and make them your servants. These men in Gibeonites, these Gibeonites, these men in Gibeon, knew the laws, the, the rules. So what are they doing? They're acting like they're coming from a far country. And, 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 they're, and they're creating this prop, the, 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 the moldy bread and all of this, and the, and the sandals that are worn and everything, to show Joshua and the elders that, hey, we've come from a far country, and I know that in your book, God has said, you're to make a covenant with us to offer peace, and you're to spare us. They're lying, right? So what do they do? So they knew the rules, and that was the only way they were going to be spared. And notice verses 7 and 8. Joshua was a little skeptical about it. What does he say? Who are you? Where do you come from? Who are you? Where do you come from? Have you ever, have you ever said that to somebody? That they come to you and say something to you or try to sell you something? You're like, there's something about you. I'm like, who are you? Uh, where do you come from? That happens a lot, right? A lot of scams out there, right? They come to your door. They knock on the door. They're selling rugs, chocolate, whatever. And you're like, where are you from? And it's 8 o'clock at night. What are you doing here? Oh, I go to a high school. Oh, what high school? Uh, the one out there. Where are you from? Uh, somewhere. All of a sudden you're like, mm, this doesn't sound right. This is kind of weird, right? Joshua's like, who are you? Where do you come from? And these guys are sitting there, and they're about to tell them a big lie. And notice in verses 9 through 13, they had the right words, and he says, and he tells them, basically, we've come from a far country. Look, look at our stuff. Look at the sandals. Look. Look, look at our pouches. Look, look at our bread. It's moldy, right? I mean, it's all sight. It's all sight. Uh, Joshua's like, well, it seems to be okay. Uh, I mean, they don't seem to be, you know, lying. Well, look, they're, they're, they're bringing this stuff. They're pretending to be someone else. Have you ever been scammed before? Have you ever been duped? Have you ever been deceived before by someone? How did that feel? Felt bad, huh? You felt weird, don't you? Violated. You felt like a fool, probably. You're like, ah, there were some red flags, but I just figured I'd just give him the benefit of the doubt. Whatever you saw, whatever seemed right. You know, in our world today of social media, there are a lot of pretenders pretending to be someone else online. You know that, right? They call that catfishing. Catfishing is basically this. A person who sets up a false personal profile on a social networking site for fraudulent or deceptive purposes. A lot of predators out there. Be careful, parents, with your kids online. They're pretenders. They're pretending to be someone else. And that's something that's happening throughout the world of social media today. But not just social media, but just even online. I mean, you've got to remember, there's the, the online dating websites, right? Uh, you don't know how many people I've spoken to, boy, both guys and girls, uh, that have gone to a dating website, find their mate, go out with them, and after their third, fourth dating uh, time, whatever, they come back with their eyes peeled open like this was not the person. They said they were on that. You know, this, their profile was totally different. They said they went to church. They said they knew Jesus, and they had John 3.16. So I believed them. Even there, you've got to be careful. There are a lot of pretenders in this world, guys. That's why walking by sight is dangerous for us as Christians. There are a lot of people, this whole world walks by sight. What feels good for them, what, what seems right, they do it. We should not be that easily gullible. We shouldn't be that gullible. And so these guys are coming, and notice what they said in verse 9 and 10. He says, because of the name of the Lord, because of what God stands for, his reputation, they have a proper honor for the Lord, the God of Israel. What they're saying is this. It was useless for them to fight against God's people because they knew God fought for them. I give them that. I really do. The men here are smart. Because they did not want to fight the God of Israel. <laughs> you can't fight against God. Listen, any time a man sets himself up against the Lord, they will always lose. 
They will always lose. God will never lose any battle on this side of heaven. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Let me read this with you. Psalm chapter 2. Just keep in mind that when men set themselves up against the Lord, they will lose. Psalm 2 is a great example of that. Psalm chapter 2, this is what it says. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. Ha, 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 right? The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with, iron, with a, a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm on God's side. You know, I could be lost today. I could be so lost. I remember when I got saved, I was in my early 20s. And it was a a wonderful thing. And looking back, you know, walking with the Lord for so many years now, I say, I'm glad I'm on his side. <laughs> I really am. It would have been a bummer if I died in my sins. It would have been a bummer if I died without Jesus in my life and confront a holy God without a Savior. I'm glad. I hope you have that confidence in your life today that if you were to die today, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will see Jesus face to face, not as your judge, but as your king and savior. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. I, as a Christian, I'm gonna, I can go to God and it's a throne of grace. There are many today that are going to be confronting that throne, but it will not be a throne of grace. It will be a throne of judgment. You have to have Jesus in your life. Jesus is not an option. Jesus is not just a fairy tale that we just make up. Jesus is real. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And so if you don't bow your knee to Jesus on this side of heaven, you will still bow your knee when you die and confront him in heaven. And so my exhortation to you this morning as you're here, those of you who are here who are not sure whether they're going to go to heaven if they were to die today, to settle that eternal destiny today. And not assume, not take a chance, not flip a coin. I hope I make it. No. Life would stink if you were to die without Christ. You wasted so many years. And that's part of the deception of the enemy. He will think that you're fine. He will say to you, you don't need this religious stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. You're fine the way you are. Don't listen to that guy up there. That's the deception that's happening today. And so what we see here is that Joshua is following God and the Gibeonites don't want to mess around with a God that has that much power. And so we see that this is something that even happened in the book of Acts when it came to respect towards God and who he is. There was a, a time when Peter, in, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the uh, disciples were preaching the name of Jesus. And just to make a long story short, they came to the magistrates, the leaders, the elders, the religious leaders of Israel came to them and said, stop teaching about Jesus. Don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. Stop it. And what did Peter say? You know, it's better for us to obey God than man. Remember that? Well, that didn't, that didn't sit well with them, and they threw him in, the, in jail, right? They 
put him in. They were about to flog him. They were about to really do some mean things to Peter. And then there's a man who stood up in the midst of their trial and said something very interesting. He said, there was a man many years ago, his name is Thaddeus, and he led this huge group of people, and he came in with power and whatnot, and guess what? It fizzled. It's gone. They're, they're no, he, this, this Thaddeus guy is gone. His group of followers are gone. Then he says this to the men, and now I say to you, keep away from these men, speaking of Peter and them, and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Smart man, right? The Bible doesn't say this guy was a Christian. But there was something about that in his heart that he had to say to these people, leave them alone. Listen, if it's not of God, they will do the same thing that Thaddeus did when he led that bunch of people. It came to nothing. If these guys are like Thaddeus, then you know what? It will happen the same way. But if it's not, listen, you're going to be fighting against God. You cannot fight against God. Like I said, you will lose. The Gibeonites were smart cookies. They wanted to, sp- they wanted to be spared, and, all, and, and for them to be spared was by deceiving Joshua. But here's the real issue, verse 14, as I'm winding down. Here's the, here's, 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 here's the real issue here. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. The deception was so powerful that it easily fooled Joshua. If Joshua sought the Lord on this, I believe God would have exposed these these men for who they really were. I think God would have easily said, Joshua, those men are lying. They're not from a far country. They're actually part of the countries of the Canaanites. You know, it's sad when this happens, when we get deceived. But it's, it's a reality. Joshua trusted in his senses instead of the Lord. Just what he saw. And Joshua walked by sight, not by faith. And so... As I conclude here, what can we learn from this story? Okay, Robert, you said a lot here. What's, what's the message? What am I going to learn from this? What do you want to teach us here this morning? I want to teach you this. It is always a mistake for us to learn or to lean on our own wisdom or judgment and make our own plans apart from God's counsel. That's as practical as I can get. It was a mistake then, and it still is. When you move forward to make big decisions in your life, and you decide not to pray about it and seek God, you're making a big mistake. The Lord is there to be counseled. He's there to hear you. He's there to help you. He's not there to, you know smash your plans because sometimes I don't want to pray about it because I know what God's going to say oh well then there's your problem enjoy it enjoy the ride God is there to help us and I don't know about you but any big decisions that I make with my family we want to pray about it it's so easy to be deceived by the outer appearance by what you see what you feel what seems right but to say Lord is this what you want The Bible says this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. You probably know this. This is one of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight, He says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. So before entering into any agreement whether it's marrying someone, going into business with another person, or signing any contract that involves other people, be sure that you seek God's counsel to make sure that you are where you're supposed to be. Remember, Satan has many tricks and deceptive devices that we just noticed here to try to fool you into something that you'll regret at the end. You don't want to go there. You want to be wise. You want to do your homework. 
and you want to bring it all to the Lord. You want to commit your ways to God. Because as that Proverbs said in Proverbs 14, there, seem, there is a way that seems right to a man, but at the end leads to death. You know, a lot of things seem right to us, but be careful. Always seek God. Amen? Jesus, we thank you so much for instructing us this morning by teaching us something that's very important for us. All of us in this room, Father, including myself, have made or will be making decisions, big decisions, and we want to be sure that you're included. We want to make sure, Father, that you are there with us, guiding us, directing us, speaking to us, and giving us the answer. Lord, we don't know. We don't see everything. And even when things seem right, even when they seem logical, even if it feels right, God, we still want to go to you and say, Lord, are my feelings right? Is this the Holy Spirit? Or is this more of my flesh? We love you, Lord. And you love us. And you don't want us to be deceived. You're not tricking us. You don't trick us. You don't deceive us. You want us to know the truth. Because you're the God of truth. As you have your heads down, your eyes closed, I want to pray for you guys this morning. If you're here this morning... I'm going to pray for two groups. The first group I want to pray for is this. If you're here this morning, and if I were to ask you, if you were to die today, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? If you could say, to, if you say to yourself, I don't really know, but you want to be sure of your eternal salvation, your eternal destiny, that you could walk out of here confident that you know Jesus. If, if you're here and your life is not where it needs to be, you need your life right with Jesus. I want to pray for you. Can you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anyone in here? If you're here today and you're saying, I don't know if I were to die. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Okay, listen. As you have your heads down, for those of you who just raised your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer in your heart. I want you to say this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I recognize you today as my Lord and my Savior. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And I want to go to heaven. And so, Lord, make me born again now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me walk with you from this day forward. And I pray this in the name of your Son, my new Savior now, Jesus. And I want to pray for another group if you're here today. And you need prayer. Perhaps you're in a crossroad. Perhaps there's a decision that you need to make today or this week, next month. Perhaps even next year you see something. And you're saying, Robert, I do need prayer. I want to trust God. I have a control issue. I, I, I just want to be able to be where God wants me to be. If, you're, if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Lord Jesus, I lift up my brothers, sisters that raise their hands right now. Whatever it is that they need to do in the next week, month, whatever it is, the decision that they need to make, I pray right now, Lord, as they heard this message, you brought a, a big reminder to them, and that is, don't do this by yourself. And I pray for them now, that you will give them the strength, the courage to fall on their knees and say, Jesus, help me make the right decision. I pray that for them, Lord. I pray that they will be strong in prayer and not allow themselves to just do things on their own. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this body of believers at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Be with Pastor uh, Mike. Heal him. Restore him. And bless this congregation to be a light in this area for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Check, check, check. Would everyone please stand? I was just checking. We have raised a thousand voices just to lift your holy name, and we will raise thousands more to sing of your beauty in this place. Oh, none can even fathom 
Lord, I wonder find your word as we marvel in your presence to the ends of the earth. We give you glory, lifting up our hands and singing holy. You alone are worthy. We just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart. Voices singing holy, you alone are worthy. We just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart as we fall down before you with our willing hearts. We see in the greatness of your glory, it's so hard to even speak. There is nothing we can. Offer. No, nothing can repay. So we give you all our praises and lift our voice to sing. We give you glory, lifting up our hands and singing holy. You alone are worthy. We just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart. Glory, lifting up our voices, singing holy. You alone are worthy. We just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart. Our hope is drenched in you. Our faith has been renewed. We trust in your every word. just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart. Glory, lifting up our voices, singing holy, you alone are worthy. We just want to touch your heart, Lord, touch your heart. Glory, lifting up our hands and singing holy, you alone are worthy. Good afternoon. God bless you guys. And uh, there is prayer up front. Have a great day.